All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm actually going to make you work a little bit this morning because there's two texts that I want you to look at. I want you to first turn to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Put a marker there, Matthew chapter 22. And then I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 10. Put your finger there. All right, so we're going to read first Matthew chapter 22 uh, this morning. And uh, everybody should have gotten a a yellow sheet. If you didn't, uh, um, we'll want you to get one before you leave this morning. So you'll you'll hear what that is in just a little bit. All right. So, all right. Couple of couple of passages I want us to read. First of all, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. All right. So if you would, if you found that place, I'll give you just a minute. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. If you would, stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. And in this passage of Scripture, he says to us, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had uh, put the, the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked a question and tempted him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto that, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all of the prophets. All right, now if you got your Bible open, go to Luke and chapter 10. A very familiar sounding story here. Uh, it's really... kind of looks at it from a different perspective and then takes it a little deeper. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, we're going to read down through verse 37 and see what takes place here. And answering, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto them, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But being willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite. When he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave it to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we look to the passages of Scripture, to the the account that is given to us here of the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life, and what is the greatest of commandments, Lord, we ask that, Father, that as we look into your word this morning, that you would speak unto each of our hearts as we talk about this very subject. So, Lord, we ask that, Father, as we take the Great Commission into account, 
We ask that, Father, that you would use it, Father, to show us, O Lord, that, Father, that we have a job to do, we have a role to play, we have a work to do. Even in the midst of the, uh, of the craziness of the coronavirus, there are things that we can do to continue to reach out to our, our neighbors and to our uh, family and to our friends and to our co-workers and to others around us, O Lord. So, Father, would you challenge us today to begin to look to what we can continue to do for your honor, for your glory, and for the purpose of the Great Commission. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated this morning. You know, at the beginning of the year, I started uh, uh, sharing with you our theme and our uh, for the year was, who is your one? Who is that one person that you can pray for, that one person in which you can pray that they might come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Well, we just started to break into it, and, and all of a sudden, the coronavirus hit, and all of that stuff was uh, kind of put on the back burner, and our focus was turned. But I want us to turn our attention back to that very idea. Who is the one person in which you have chosen this year that you're going to do something to pray for, to work for, to diligently seek after, that you might win them to the Lord? Now here's the thing, that one person may be a family member, it may be a friend, it may be a co-worker, it might be your next door neighbor. Alright, so in looking at this, you, how many of you remember the State Farm commercial? State Farm has coined a phrase in their commercial, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's a great philosophy to have. But it didn't originate with State Farm's commercial. The idea, the concept of being a good neighbor comes from God himself, and it's found right here in what we just read in the Bible. When Jesus was asked to sum up everything into one commandment, he said to us to love God with everything that we have, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We just read that in Matthew 22. The genius of this great commandment is that it's so simple, but yet it is the most powerful commandment of all Scripture. However, uh, most of us have turned this in, uh, Jesus' commandment into a, a phrase instead of a, 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 an action. We've turned it into an abstract idea. Um, we've generalized our neighbors to the point, and we don't do anything specifically to love our neighbors, We've turned Jesus' words into a nice saying, but then we go out and we live our lives and we don't put them into practice. But what would happen if you and I started taking the Great Commission and started looking at it literally as if it were something that we were supposed to be doing every day, all day, throughout the day? How would that change our life? How would that change the way we talk? How would that change the way that we relate to people? Uh, and if that started with loving our neighbors uh, as our own self, our neighborhoods would look totally different. All right? And what if it started by loving your neighbor in such a way that you loved the persons that lived right around you? Now, you know, we're going to talk about who's our neighbor, but yet I want to focus into our own neighborhoods and our own communities. One of the things about this church in the last 60 years has happened is that we have changed from a community of neighbors to spreading out all across the county. All right? Um, things have changed. Houses have left and businesses have come around us. And the people that come to Midway come from all kinds of different neighborhoods. 
And what we need to look at is not what can we do in the neighborhood in which the church lives, but what can you do in the neighborhood in which you live? How can that make a difference? If we can do that, what a difference the church will make. Remember, one of the things that coronavirus has done for us, it has kicked us out of the church and told us to go back to our neighborhoods, go back to our homes, do something right there. And so I want us to focus over the next few weeks, I want to do a series on this idea of be like a good neighbor. I want us to uh, be like a good neighbor. All right, so the first thing I want us to talk about today is taking the great commandment to your community. All right, in Luke chapter 10, in verses 25 through 37, Jesus is asked another question. But who is my neighbor? And uh, um, what a question. Who is my neighbor? And I want to ask you uh, a similar question. I want to ask you, can you fill in this chart? Now I want you to put up that chart. Thank you. Can you fill out that chart? Who are the people that live right around you? Who are the people in your neighborhood? Now, if you look at that chart, you're right there in the center. Around you are several houses. And I want you to begin to think about who are eight of your neighbors around you. Now, I told Joyce Breland that, you know, uh, it really doesn't, you know, this is not going to be hard for her. She knows every neighbor in there. Uh, It's not going to be hard for the Furchises over there because pretty much everybody in their neighborhood is related to them. They know who they are. All right? So um, I'm going to challenge them to spread out beyond that little group, about beyond that family unit, spread out and find eight more families in your neighborhood. And then I want you to put their names on this chart. I don't want you to throw this away. I actually want you to take this home, fill it out, put it on your refrigerator as a reminder of who your neighbors are around you. All right? So we'll talk more about that a little later on in the message. All right? So let me give you an illustration. Nita is a mother and a wife who wanted to connect with her neighbors. So she and her husband planned a neighborhood ice cream social uh, that they would host from their home. Nita lived on a street that had no outlet, and there was about 45 homes in the area. She made flyers and walked around the neighborhood distributing them to each of the homes. After the social, everyone thanked her for hosting and thought it was such a great idea that several neighbors said, let's make this an annual event. And some of the neighbors volunteered their yards. One man who had came was disabled. No one in the neighborhood had ever met him before. He enjoyed himself so much and everyone enjoyed visiting with him. Although um, Anita estimated there was only about 40 people who attended, How could something so uh, simple as a neighborhood ice cream social be such a big deal? Well, let me just remind you, in our society in which we're living in today, in this I'm too busy, too distracted, too into myself culture in which we live in, it's a big deal to take time to get to know and to spend time with your neighbors. So as I start this series, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, neighborhoods, Practices, three neighborhood practices that I want to encourage you to begin to, to put in place in your neighborhood that will help you to reach your neighborhood. Now, I, I'm going to say this, and then I'll talk more about it next week. Um, I know that coronavirus has said that we have to remain six feet apart. We can't do certain things. We'll talk about that next week. What we're going to talk about today, coronavirus can't touch. 
Okay? You'll get that as we go along. All right. So I'm going to talk about three neighborhood practices to help us represent Jesus to our neighborhood front line. To take the, the practical steps towards becoming good neighbors. Well, let's say, let's be great neighbors. All right? I want to begin so at the great commandment by challenging you to take the great commandment literally. Taking the great commandment to your community. So let's get started. As I, as I looked at this, I found three insights that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, the great commandment is God's simple truth of who you are to love. You know, a lot of times we wonder, who am I supposed to really, who is my neighbor, who am I supposed to love, how am I supposed to love them? The great commandment is God's simple truth of who we're to love. All right, the smartest thing that we can do to impact any community, to impact our community, is to actually live out Jesus' command to love thy neighbor. You see, the reality is the church is supposed to love their neighbors around the church building, but the church, when everybody leaves the building, the church goes to different neighborhoods. The church needs to go to your neighborhood where you live, and you need to show the love of Jesus in your neighborhood. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, the religious leaders... The religious experts, let me put it that way, uh, were, were trying to trick Jesus with his question. And his question was, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus, being the way that he was, oftentimes, whenever asked a question, would do something very wonderfully. He would just turn the question around and, and ask them a question, putting it right back on them for the responsibility of the answer. And so uh, that's exactly what he does. He says, how do you think? you should inherit the kingdom of heaven. And what does the law of Moses say to you? Uh, the religious expert answers the question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus comes back, that answer uh, w was true. He says that's a great answer. How important was it uh, to Jesus when he looked at this and he said, in Luke chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, then do this and you shall live. Jesus said, if you know what you're supposed to be doing, do this and you shall live. In other words, if you do what you have just said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself, you will have eternal life. But wait a minute, preacher. I thought we had to have Jesus in our heart. Yes, Jesus is simply saying, you won't, you won't be able to do this unless you first have me in your life. Jesus is pointing the, 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 the question back to the man to say, listen, if you want to know how to have eternal life, you need to recognize what you need to do, how you need to live your life, how you need to love. If we're going to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, then we're going to have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then and, and, uh, he says, do this and you shall live. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 40, he said, the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. And did you hear that? Everything that there is, is based upon these two commandments. Have you ever looked at the cross? The cross has two posts, a, a vertical and a horizontal. And I think that when we look at that and we think about the greatest commandment that God gave us, He said, first, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And we've got to have that vertical relationship with God before we can ever have that horizontal relationship to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
You see, the important thing is that the cross represents and reminds us that, that our relationship with God is ultimately important before we can ever love our neighbor as we're supposed to. And so Jesus wants us to see how important this is. Jesus is simply saying eternal life and all the truths of God are found in the writings of the Old Testament prophets and God's spiritual laws are all wrapped up in this great commandment. So in my estimation, and I think in Josh's estimation, seeing how he's doing mission, mission possible, is that the great commandment is the greatest truth in which we can teach and we can do. And we must do that, families. We must be doing that. So uh, one of the critical teachings of Jesus, we should be teaching. It should grab our attention. It should grab our passions. It should grab our commitments. And it should cause us to be enthusiastic. But this is a real challenge for us, isn't it? Well, at least it was for the religious leaders back then. And I think that if we were to be honest with ourselves, it is for us today. You see, for the religious expert, he knew the answer to the original question. As a matter of fact, he knew it so well that he gave Jesus not only the book, the chapter, and the verse of both Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. He knew what Scripture said, and many of you can quote the Scripture. Just like this man, he could quote the Scripture, but the problem was he wasn't living it out. The thing is that we can have a great head knowledge of the things of God, but if we don't have a heart knowledge of the things of God, we've missed it. We've missed the mark. And so Jesus is telling him, don't just know it, go out and live it. And therefore he reminds him, you have answered right. Do this and you shall live. But this religious guy's insincerity is shown in the next verse. Look at verse 29. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus well then who is my neighbor it's as if he says come on Jesus you know you seem to know everything you tell me who's my neighbor then who is the guy that lives over there who is the guy that I should love who is the guy that I should pay attention to and then Jesus turns it around and he gives us that great parable that parable that we have talked about so many times the Good Samaritan parable. As a matter of fact, it is so well known. Did you know that America has a law that's called the Good Samaritan law? Meaning that you can come up to somebody as a Good Samaritan and try to do something if they're in, in dire straits or in need. And if you do something wrong, they can't sue you or hold you accountable because you are simply trying your best to do something kind for them. It's called the, great, the Good Samaritan law. But Jesus says something here. He tells a story of the great Samaritan. And listen, my friends, I want you to understand the good Samaritan story is something that you and I could probably tell our kids, our grandkids, or tell the neighbor. We know the story. So I'm not going to read it again. I'm going to summarize it. Let me talk about three things in this story. First of all, the thief saw a victim to exploit. They didn't view the man as a fellow human being. They didn't care about his needs. They only wanted to take from him what was valuable. Then the religious men saw the injured man as a nuisance to avoid. One might ask the question, well, what do you mean by a religious man? What does religious mean? Well, religion is a person's attempt to make himself acceptable to God by doing good works. This is often accomplished by religious rules instead of resulting in a closeness of a relationship to God. It ends with lifelessness. 
Religion is centered on man and not on God. It's centered on what we can do to earn God's love. So these religious men avoided the injured man. They had felt that they had just come from church. They didn't need to do any more good works. They've done enough for the day. This guy's on his own. Listen, my friends, we're not to be living a religious life. We're to be living a life that is in a relationship with Christ, and Christ would do. Now, the third thing that we see is the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan who saw the opportunity to minister to the needs of the man, even though there was great tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They avoided one another like the plague. And notice that the Samaritan made no excuses, uh, uh, had no ulterior motives, and simply did what he could to meet the needs of the man that he saw. The point is this, the great commandment, God's simple truth of who we're to love, and as improbable as it is for a Samaritan uh, befriending a Jew, how much more should we care for our neighbors? So, who is the person you see in your lane today? Who's the person you're going to see as you drive on home? Who are the houses? What are the, the, the homes that are there? And homes represent people. Um, you know, there are a lot of empty houses in our neighborhoods, but there are a lot of houses with people living in our neighborhoods. So who is the person that you see in your lane today? Who is that one in your path? Who are those people who live in that regular orbit of your daily life? They are your neighbors. Look at the second truth that we find from here. The great commandment is extremely powerful when acted upon. The great commandment really does nothing when it's just something that we know. It only has an effect is when we put it to practice. Now let, let's break down for just a minute the actions of the Good Samaritan. It involved four powerful movements. It involved compassion. Do you... Um, uh, you do this by placing yourself in a person's place or position and then acting the way that you would want others to act to you. The second thing that it involves, it involves contact. This is where you refuse to allow a person to stay in the condition he or she was in when you found them. You pull alongside to help. You see the need. You respond appropriately. You see, the first two that I've given you already are, are pointing to the very things that God has done for us. God had compassion upon us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. He made contact with us that he said, listen, I see where you are in your sin and I'm going to do everything that I can so that when I'm done with you, you are no longer there. The third thing that we see is that it involves care. Once you make contact with that person in the path of your daily life, you encourage, you care, for, you inspire and you reassure them. You reach uh, out a hand and you help them in their time of need. You spend the time needed just like Jesus does with us. And the fourth thing we see is it involves a cost. A ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. I think the expert of the religious laws and the religious leaders and, and the Good Samaritan story were trying to define neighbor as someone you could pick and choose for that you would care for. Someone that you wanted to call your neighbor, not somebody who was actually your neighbor. That way, it wouldn't cost them as much, cost them less time, less energy, less investment, less involvement. They could control their own agenda of who their neighbor was so that it could be about them and not about 
others. But Jesus had none of that. He said to them very plainly, and he says to us today, your neighbor is the person who is in your lane, your path during the day. Your neighbor are those people who live in your regular orbit of your daily life. You know, oftentimes we have schedules. We have places to be, things to do, work to get done. And I believe God does this on a regular basis. He puts people or things in our path to see if we're more willing to serve Him or to serve our schedules. And I think the story of the Good Samaritan is a great example of that. The men in this story, um, the religious men in this story, looked at it as it was an inconvenience. It was something outside of their realm, outside of their time, outside of their desires. You know, oftentimes I have to pray. In the mornings, Lord, uh, remind me that this is your day and that whatever comes my way, I am to stop and to take part in because I don't know who you're going to put in my path. There are times when uh, I find myself get frustrating because my day keeps getting interrupted by things or people and God reminds me, but you told me I could put somebody in your path. And that's what we need to be reminded of. That who is our neighbor? We may not know their name. We may never see them again. But if God puts them in our path, they are a neighbor for that day. Alright? So, we know the story well, don't we? But I wonder how many of us actually live like the religious guys rather than the good Samaritan. I wonder if we excuse ourselves from the call of Jesus to know and love our neighbors, our co-workers, our parents, on our kids' teams, and, and, and um, to know literally who our neighbors are, just because it doesn't fit in our timetable or our plans. However, let's dwell on this. Great things will happen. Great things will happen when we present Jesus to those who are closest to us. Listen, my friends. The world around us is looking for somebody to present Jesus to us. Just like somebody presented Jesus to us. It's our job. The reason that God did not take you home to heaven the moment that you accepted Jesus was because He left you here to fulfill the role of telling others what Jesus has done for you. Now let's look at the third thing. We need to take the great commandment literally. What I mean by literally is that we need to, we need to read its words and, and, and say, this is exactly the way that I'm supposed to live my life. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he simply wanted to capture what it would look like if a person who had nothing to gain would take literally what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. The Samaritan saw an opportunity, even as messy as it was, to come to the aid of a man that he did not know, that his culture did not like, and come to him and do for him what others would not do. He became an example of how that we ought to respond to others. And at the same time, he revealed to us the nature of Jesus' love for us. I have a video clip that I want you to watch of what it might look like in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, if we would start living out literally 
what the Great Commission says. Well, let's see if we can play this video. When you have a neighbor that comes to you and says, we really want a bigger house or need a bigger house, uh, but we love our neighborhood, we love this neighborhood so much we can't move, it says something about the people around you. Uh, it says something about the fact that the efforts you've put in or the efforts others are putting in are actually paying off. We had a neighbor who um, suffered from cancer and uh, Ken offered to bring dinner over once a week while he was going through all the chemo and so forth just to let his wife have a break. She said, you don't need to do that. And I said, you're right, I don't need to do this, but it's something I want to do. It's something you can just on Tuesday nights, you don't have to worry about fixing dinner when you get home from work after struggling all day. You spend the evening with Jim and I'll, I'll come over and bring dinner. And we did that until Jim passed away. And it was just something we do because I was fixing dinner anyway. What's the difference if I put enough more on for two more people? So. It would be easier some days just to pull in the garage, shut the door down, but I want to get to know people. It means that hey, I see him out there shoveling for his backyard so it'll grow better and it's a hot day. Uh, I'm driving home, I wanna go in and grab a glass of lemonade or a glass of ice water and I pick up my shovel and my wheelbarrow and I meet him out in the street and say, hey, let's get this done. Sometimes I don't wanna do it. Uh, you know, I've even done that when, when I had places to be. So for me to sacrifice that and to uh, be a little bit late to what I had planned and to help somebody out, is more important to me. You know, I was thinking about it just this morning. I, I let somebody go ahead of me. I was going to get a donut. You know, and I, I waited for them. I opened the door, let them go in front of me and, and stand in line in front of me even. So, and then at the end of it, I thought, well, it was 15, 20 seconds extra that I stood. If I can't give 15 or 20 seconds to somebody, what kind of, you know, what kind of love is that? What kind of person would I, am I if I can't give somebody 15 or 20 seconds of my time? Um, and in the same respect with your neighbors who you know that much better, uh, what is it if I give them 15 or 20 minutes? It's not a lot on my part, uh, but with our neighbor who was sick uh, and just taking dinner, it was five minutes of my time tops, but it meant so much to them because it was something that met a need in their life. And I think that's what God's called us to do is love others. called us to do is to love others it's called us to love God with all of our heart with all of our soul and with all of our mind and then he's called us to love others as we love ourselves what would it look like if our communities where the communities where our church lives and there are vast communities what would it look like if our communities continue to start practicing the Great Commission, doing for their neighbors, reaching out to their neighbors, loving their neighbors, loving them and encouraging them and showing Jesus to them. What would it look like for you to move from perhaps being a stranger to your neighbor to having an acquaintance with your neighbor? What would it look like in your community for you to move from acquaintance into having a relationship with your neighbor. Now listen, you don't always have to have a relationship to share the gospel, but I can tell you something I've learned over the last 40 plus years is that it helps. Having a relationship with, your, with someone helps you to have the freedom to share the gospel with them. 
And it gives them an open opportunity, an open door to see that you are genuine in what you're saying to them. You know, too many of us in our neighborhoods, we simply just wave a hand, pass on by. We simply travel through our neighborhoods. We never live in our neighborhoods. It's time that we start looking at for opportunities to live in our neighborhood. So let me close with a challenge for you today. Truth is, for most of us, we're only good at a few things. I mean, there's just the truth. We only, most of us are good at, at just a few things. So let's make sure one of those things is what Jesus said matters the most. To love God with all our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Let me remind you that love trumps programs. Being a good neighbor is better than being a, a fellow with a good program. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that sheet. What did I do with it? This one right here. All right. If you at home want one of these, uh, you call the office on, uh, and, and let us know, and we'll be glad to get you one. We'll put you one in the mail. We'll bring it over to you. We want you to know who your neighbor is. So here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to fill in those eight blanks of who your neighbor is, eight people around you. And here's what I want you to do this week. You know what? It's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know their name. So here's what I want you to do is I want you to try to find their names. If you don't know who they are, look for it. If you can't find it, call the office. Let us know that you're having trouble. I've got a couple of resources that I can use that I might be able to get you. Uh, unless you live in an apartment complex, uh, pretty much I can help you uh, find out who your neighbors are around you. All right? So, but here's what I want you to do. Once you put your names on there, here's the challenge for the week. I want you to pray for your neighbor. I want you to start praying for those eight families, recognizing that they are individuals who Jesus loves, who Jesus knows, and who Jesus wants. And I want you to begin praying for those neighbors and asking God to open their hearts to be receptive to your relationship and your sharing the gospel. So would you do that with me this week? For each of those households, all I want you to do this week, put their names down and then pray. You pray for them, God will begin, I believe, to give you a heart for your neighbors. A heart that will create a compassion it will remove to a caring and it will move to actions. But let me just remind you that it probably will cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your energy. It's going to cost you building a relationship. But I want to challenge you to do that this morning. You see, several months ago we said, who's your one? What can we do? How can we reach that person? Here's a good challenge for you to begin looking at who God might have want you to meet, who you can reach, who you can win. So let's take the great commandment into our communities, into our neighborhoods, and share the gospel with them. For those of you that are at home, I challenge you, look outside your windows. Look to your neighbors. For those of you that are here, as you're driving home today, I want you to pay attention to the houses around you. 
I want you to think about who those eight people will be. Now, they may not be the ones that are right around you because you may already know them or you may already have befriended them or you may already be related to them. So reach out. Go beyond that and find eight more that you can get to know. And next week, I'll give you some opportunities and some other things that you can do to reach out to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to be able to um, reach our neighbors. Lord, the question is, who's our neighbor? Anybody that you put in our path. Anybody that's there that, 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 that Lord, uh, we come to know. We see that are in need. Help us to have the same compassion and the same desire that Jesus had. Let us be willing, O oh Lord, to put some effort forward so that we might reach our neighbors. Help us to put the names on. Give us the names so that we can put them on our sheet. And then, Father, give us a desire to pray for them every day for the next week. So that, Father, that you might stir our hearts. Cause us, O Lord, to lift our voice before you, we pray. In Jesus' name.